have a whole lot of college football to dive into on the show today. I know you're Christian. It's the middle of April. We want to talk about baseball. We want to talk about the Hawks. We'll do all of that. Hawks heading to the playoffs here uh, as they get a big-time win there in the N- NBA's new play-in tournament. So we'll, we'll talk about all that. But we also have just a plethora of spring games coming up this Saturday, which I think a lot of people should be excited for. I know we spoke a little bit about this yesterday, but starting tonight, uh, Florida has their spring game coming up at 730. Uh, and that one I definitely think one to watch, even if you're not a Florida fan, right? This is really our first look there. Uh, Billy Napier and what he is bringing down to the Gators. But a whole lot of hype coming out of Gainesville. What can Anthony Richardson do? What can that revamped uh, offensive line do uh, for these Florida Gators? And a whole bunch of guys who are coming back uh, for an extended year, right? Fifth-year, six-year seniors uh, who can make a big impact on that team. So a whole lot to watch for out of Florida spring game coming up tonight. Uh, But also on Saturday, you have Arkansas, Miami, Mississippi State, Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan State, I mean, Vanderbilt, if you want to, uh, but South Carolina at 7 o'clock, and then, of course, Georgia with their spring game, the defending national champions at 1 o'clock on ESPN2. So just a really cool college football weekend all across the country, and you got to love it because you get a little taste of college football during the middle of April. But speaking on the Florida game, that's coming up tonight at 7.30. We had a chance to catch up with Zach Goodall from All Gators on SportsIllustrated.com uh, to give us all the storylines that we need to watch out for. So this is us uh, catching up with Zach Goodall from All Gators on Sports Illustrated. Thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, absolutely, Christian. Thank you for having me. Oh, we appreciate you hopping on. And I know an intriguing team, to say the least. A lot of guys back, a lot of new faces, but I think the biggest storyline this offseason has been Billy Napier and just his uh, cavalcade of coaches that he's hired down there at Florida. Uh, What's it been like in Gainesville covering this team? Because I know just a a huge amount of changes. Yeah, it's been a really interesting transition to cover. Um, You can can immediately tell there was a bit of a culture shift, right? Uh, A lot of players have come out and said, but it's the little things this staff does that are going a long way. Um, It's certainly helping with the buy-in. You know, there's there's a new culture. There's a new respect for putting in the work to develop into a powerhouse in the SEC. And with that, you know, it it comes perks. Napier, his two of the biggest things with players off the field has been um, parking at UF and the lack thereof for players. They dealt with a lot of tickets, Um, food. They said that they just, you know, they used to get a lot of really not great food from the last coaching staff and their nutrition wasn't taken care of. And those were two of the very first things Napier changed when he got here. They've, um, as part of their new indoor, or, football facility they're building they're going to have a kitchen with um i think 13 chefs working on nutrition for these players Uh, they have parking now that's exclusive to football players and it's gone a long way Uh, guys are really appreciating all the work that this new staff is putting in to make this you know not only a winning program again but one where players are truly happy to be at and just coming over from louisiana i know we've covered him a lot just in his time uh, there in the Sun Belt, and obviously turning Louisiana into a perennial double-digit win team uh, is, is impressive from him, and a really a physical brand of football. Just in the limited amount of times you've been able to see spring practice and the reports that have come out, what style of offense do you expect to see from the Gators going forward? Because I know with a lot of teams, but more specifically with Florida, that fan base, offense and pace and putting up a lot of points is something that's at the top of the list. 
I think you nailed it with the word physical. And, and, you know, people loved Dan Mullen for his offenses. Things, you know, just the wheels fell off in a lot of other areas. But he had a fast-paced offense, a great passing game. They could put up those points. And I think Napier is going to pride himself on, you know, having a great offense, but it's going to be one that is more physical, that's more measured in their approach. Uh, They're going to dedicate to the run game. I would bet that they run the ball 55 to 60% of the time, which is definitely an uptick from Mullen. Uh, We're going to see a lot more 12 personnel with more tight ends being used. I think they'll use the running game to create a vertical passing game by, you know, dictating defenses, making them respect the run and clogging up the box in order to open up shots downfield, which pairs well with a quarterback in Anthony Richardson, who is a strong rusher. And also, even though he has ways to go and, you know, developing as a passer, he's got a cannon. He may have one of the most uh, powerful and talented arms in college football right now. And it seems to be a good fit. Players are responding well. Um, and they're looking forward to it. We talked to an offensive lineman last night, and he said that there's been a bit more of a of gap scheme installs uh, for run blocking, and, and that personally, he, he likes it. I mean, they like running zone and gap. They did a lot of zone under Mullen, but he appreciates that there's been more of an install as it comes to the gap scheme. Now, you, you were talking about Anthony Richardson there, and it, you can see the talent, right? The dude's huge. He has a huge arm, and he can absolutely fly, as we saw a couple times last year, but just never really felt like there was a fit or he was comfortable in that Dan Mullen offense last year. He, like, he's not a Kyle Trask, and so he's not a guy who's going to be fitting balls over the middle. More so he can do it with the run game and then using that to set up the passing game. How much have you guys gone back to maybe looked at what uh, a Levi Lewis did at Louisiana and then try to project that? Because I just think it's a much more natural fit for a guy like Anthony Richardson. I agree completely. I, mean, I think Lewis was also a bit limited as a passer, but again, he also had a big arm. Um, and they, I remember, I think it was the, um, it was right after Napier was hired. I was watching the Sunbelt game that weekend. He wasn't officially hired, I guess, at that point, but everyone knew it was happening. Sure. In the first three plays, you know, it was a strong run, strong run, strong run uh, with a mix of different running backs. Um, blanking on who they were playing at that time, but the, the defense immediately crowded the box. Next thing you knew, it was a play-action pass, and Levi connected uh, going 50 yards down the left sideline. Uh, that's the type of offense I think will be perfect for Richardson. You know, he can run these options. They have talent in the backfield to create a strong running game. And then when you're able to open up, um, you have some speed you know, to go over top, especially with the tight ends. They want their tight ends to stretch vertically, according to all accounts. Um, and, and we'll see that. I think that Richardson's got the arm talent to make those plays down the field. Um, you nailed it too. They're going to want to see him develop as a guy that can, you know, make passes in between the hashes. But as long as they can stretch the field to the outside, they're, they're gonna, he's going to have some success. Now up front, I know a team that struggled a little bit last year to find consistency uh, running the football and then sometimes broke down there uh, in pass protection. What are we looking like uh, up front for these guys uh, going into the spring game? Solid but unspectacular. They, the, the, Napier's made a huge point about um, only really having two teams worth of depth on this roster. Uh, obviously, schools want to have three. An offensive line position is the first. Um, it's the first unit that he mentioned that with. Yeah, he said it's a reflection of the entire team as well. They've got three returning starters who are, you know, they're solid. I wouldn't necessarily call them all SEC players as of yet, but maybe they'll develop into that this year. Uh, whereas they have two starters to replace on the right side. 
I think they've got a couple options at guard for um, for right guard. Osiris Torrance, a transfer from Louisiana. He didn't allow a sack in three years as a starter there. He seems like an easy fit. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be the first offensive lineman we see tomorrow night because he's been competing with Josh Braun. But he's a guy that I would I would imagine as a week one starter. And then you're left looking at right tackle. They've got a couple inexperienced options there. Uh, Michael Tarquin has the most playing time, but he's not really been a starter, more of a filling guy. Uh, with that, we know they want to look at the transfer portal this spring, uh, really want to rebuild the foundation of this roster. It will have to include some subtractions in order to bring in some additions. But I would think that right tackle, um, especially a starting caliber one, but at least – someone they could develop into a long-term starter as well uh, will be a priority. Zach Goodall from All Gators on SportsIllustrated.com joining us here. Uh, a couple of Georgia, former Georgia guys, I should say, uh, on the defensive side, going to be big pieces uh, this year. We all know about Brenton Cox, but also Jalen Kimber uh, transfers down. What have you seen out of the redshirt sophomore corner? Yeah, there's, there's, he's been working quite a bit. Um, He's, for the majority of spring practice, had a no-contact jersey on, which makes me think they're, they're taking things kind of lightly. Uh, he missed last season with a shoulder injury at Georgia, and they want to make sure that nothing's really done to it. But that being said, there is, um, there is one spot that I would say is locked in at corner, and, and that's Jason Marshall Jr. Uh, he started a good bit last year when Kyrie Elam was hurt. Played really well for a true freshman. I think he's got one spot locked down. Opposite of him, though, you know, it's a it's an open competition. You've got Kimber. You've got J, um, Jaden Hill, who missed last season with an ACL tear. You have Avery Helm, a rising redshirt sophomore who started last year, had his ups and downs, but is certainly a talented player, a really great athlete as well. Uh, and Kimber's going to be fighting for one of those spots, uh, considering that he was, um, I guess, reportedly in line to potentially start for Georgia last year before his injury. I, I would think that he's certainly in line to fight for that spot again this year. And some older guys uh, coming back, one of them using that six-year uh, from COVID, but a couple other redshirt seniors there. Uh, Justin Shorter there at wide receiver. Excuse me. Then you have Lorenzo Lingard uh, at running back on the offensive side of the ball. And then Ventrell Miller uh, coming back to play inside linebacker. How huge was it to get all three of those guys back? I think pretty important. Uh, the wide receiver group certainly uh, has its ups and downs as well. Um, there are some... Guys that came in as solid recruits that Florida expected a lot out of under Dan Mullen, and they just haven't really hit their stride. But Shorter was a transfer who came in. I don't think he's necessarily lived up to a five-star status, but he has been consistently dependable as a possession receiver, a big-bodied receiver that can also go up and make acrobatic um, catches. He's fast enough to stretch the field when they need him to. Um, he, he's going to be a big part of their passing offense this year, and they're happy to have him. Lorenzo Lingard is um, a former Miami transfer. He's really not played since his freshman year because he had a pretty bad lower body injury at Miami. But all everything I've seen, everything I've been told from spring so far, is he's consistently been the first running back to get a carry with the first team, first guy in and out of drills. He looks like he's in a position to make a jump this year and, and certainly contribute to this offense, and they're going to depend on it again if they're – they're going to be running the ball 60-ish percent of the time, like I'd expect. Then I'd expect, um, you know, Lingard, Marcus Bowman, Montreal Johnson, the uh, the transfer from Louisiana, to all play a role in this offense going forward. And as for Ventrell, uh, the linebacker position really wasn't recruited well over the years under Dan Mullen. Um, not a ton of great fits. There was never a true middle linebacker that they were able to bring in and know he can 
you know, communicate to the defense, be a good run stuffer as well as drop into coverage. They, they were never able to find that guy. So at least to get Miller back for one more year is a great Band-Aid. Try and cover up those recruiting issues while they look for more talent. And obviously, you know, he's a talented guy as well. He's a, he's a great run defender. He's improved every year as a, as a coverage guy. He's gotten faster, a bit leaner. And, and he's been their lead communicator. We saw that drop off last year once he got hurt. The defense certainly regressed. So I'm, I'm sure they're happy to have him back. What's the first thing you're watching for uh, at 730 on SEC Network? I can go back and forth. Um, I mean, I've written this a few times that obviously the every eye watching Florida football right now is on Billy Napier and what this program looks like, what the buy-in's like, what the culture's like. If um, if penalties decrease and people, you know, become more committed to playing clean football. That being said, mine, I think mine will be on Richardson. Uh, there's so many high expectations for him around here because of the talent being the local guy who played uh, high school football 10 minutes down the road from the swamp. Expectations are sky high. I've seen him on odds list for the Heisman this year, and he only threw six touchdowns last year. So it's the expectations are sky high for good reason. But that being said, he's got a lot of development to show us, uh, a lot to prove. So I'm going to be looking forward to seeing just how comfortable he is in this offense. I know it's not fun for fans to hear it, but is it honestly more important to see stuff develop off the field for Billy Napier more than on the field this season? Because I know really the sticking point for a lot of people really when it started to unwind for Dan Mullen was the we'll recruit when it's recruiting season kind of a comment. And then you had the Kirby Smart quote unquote leaked audio, which seemed maybe like it was leaked on purpose uh, (laughs) where he's talking to, uh, to those guys inside that Georgia locker room down there in Jacksonville. But how important is it this year, more so than the record uh, for Florida, that Billy Napier comes in and gets one of those top seven, top five recruiting classes, and as you mentioned, continue to develop and play catch up uh, in terms of some of the facilities and just infrastructure in and around that program? I think it's of the utmost importance. I completely agree. I mean, when I look at this roster, when I hear Napier do his best to temper expectations, I truly view this team in 2022 as a 7-8 win team. They, they don't have an easy schedule. There is a lot of rebuilding that Napier is tasked with. A lot of it does come from recruiting. Uh, like you mentioned Mullen's comment about recruiting season, you know, I think that just went to show where his priorities were. And Napier understands you know, there is an entire foundation to rebuild, a culture that needs a, a fresh start. So you do want to look for those things. You know, you want to see these players, as they've been saying all offseason, they feel like there's a new approach where people are first, football is second, and they're being taken care of, and it's inspiring guys, it's motivating them to truly buy into what this program's doing. And then, like you said, recruiting as well. I mean, we've seen in the first two weeks Napier was here on early signing day, I thought the results were extremely encouraging. Uh, bringing in three players on the um, SI-99, top 99 recruits in the country, within two weeks of getting the job, he landed those three. And it should give people hope that this year, you know, he can do that again and put Florida up into that maybe five to eight range for recruiting class rankings. Uh, Mullen, I think, only got there once. You want to see him build that foundation, improve it every year, and so far, he certainly seems dedicated to doing it. Zach Goodall, you can follow him on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. He's with All Gators, SportsIllustrated.com, breaking down Florida spring game, 730 on Thursday night. Zach, we appreciate it, man. Excited uh, to watch those guys go after there and get after it. Anytime we can watch SEC football for a whole weekend, uh, it's a good weekend. So we appreciate the time, man. Look forward to talking to you soon.
No doubt. Appreciate you having me. Again, Zach Goodall from All Gators on Sports Illustrated. we got more to come here on Second Down. We'll be back after this. Second Down on ESPN is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Appreciate Zach Goodall from All Gators for joining us. Just breaking down Florida Spring Game coming up tonight. You can watch it on SEC Network coming up at 7.30. But, PJ, we've got a ton of really cool spring. When's, when's Penn State Spring Game? You don't know when Penn State spring game. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, it's probably, uh, probably, probably coming up soon. You know, see him out there practicing and whatnot here and there. But I don't know. Not, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, there you two go. o'clock on the old Big Ten Network. Not uh, classic. Um, but, but no, there's a ton of big ones coming up this weekend. We yeah, have, we have Alabama as we mentioned, Georgia, uh, Arkansas, Miami, Florida uh, is tonight. Virginia Tech, good friend Sean Quinn up there. Get our first chance to see. Uh, Spencer Rattler of South Carolina at 7 o'clock. Uh, Duke is at 6 o'clock on Saturday on the ACC Network. So a whole lot uh, of awesome spring games coming up and a lot of cool storylines. Anything in particular, any team in particular that you're interested in? I mean, you kind of just talked about it there. Like, I am very interested in seeing what's going on with Florida. Uh, you know, everything being in- implemented there with Billy Napier, uh, like you said, you know, old, old 15 back there, a quarterback. Let, let's see how yeah. how he can do and, and how he operates in that system. But also, you got to be brave again, to wear 15 at Florida. Oh, for sure. For sure. But, uh, I mean, he's he's also gotten a lot of hype, right? So, uh, I mean, he's gotten a lot of hype. He's excited about the possibility, I'm sure. But you talked about it yesterday, and it's something I completely agree with. I remember talking to you about it midseason and as the season went on. This is a team that just, like, I know it's not all the same guys either. This is a team that just kind of quit midseason last night. Like, and, and a lot of times, you don't like to say that about a team, right? Like, especially you don't know the inner workings, the heart of a guy, all that kind of stuff. But it was pretty obvious that, like, the talent level and, and it looked like the effort and just what that team was kind of putting forward, especially at the end of the season, was not Florida. It, it was not one hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, and and that's a team uh, that took. They'd, they'd quit on Dan Mullen at that point. Yeah, they for were, sure, yeah, they, they took were, Alabama they to the brink yeah. early in the season. They were done with Dan Mullen at that point. And Speaking then they were just Alabama, done. That's a great so. How transition. do you come back from that? That's no, that's my question. That's like, a great transition because we have to go. We got to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to catch up with Drew Diarman from nine seven seven in Huntsville, breaking down Alabama and their spring game. So PJ professionally done. Hey, great little transition there. A little segue. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back, catch up with Drew DeArmond next right here on ESPN Radio. Second down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Just taking a swing around uh, the Southeastern Conferences. We have a ton of spring games coming up this weekend. As I said to Zach, it's always a good weekend uh, when you have SEC football during the middle of April. One team uh, that I think is a fascinating team going in to the fall, and it it seems interesting because they're always a team that's going to be right there in the top two or three, but I do think they're really interesting because I don't know uh, if we could ever say the fact that they had the best offensive player and defensive player in college football uh, at the same time. And then, of course, uh, coming for a little bit of a revenge tour, of course, talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. They have their spring game coming up at 3 o'clock on Saturday and catch it on the SEC Network or on ESPN Plus to break it all down with us from 977 The Zone in Huntsville. Drew DeArmond hopping on with us. Drew, thanks for taking the time, man. What's up, Christian? How are you guys doing? And as I mentioned there, maybe you can confirm. I just I don't know that I've ever seen an Alabama team with all the first round picks uh, that Nick Saban's had 
with the best offensive player and best defensive player in college football at the same time. And I think that's got to be horrifying for the rest of the country. Well, you know, certainly to have both of them back is a unique situation. And, uh, you know, they had kind of a leadership vacuum on the team last year. And I think Will it was the de facto best player on the team last year and the, his best leader defensively, even as a sophomore. And then Bryce Young, first year starting, wins the Heisman Trophy. Uh, really uh, was a great leader on his team, uh, you know, on that football team as well. It's unusual to have your two best leaders, you know, and best players be sophomores, uh, but this is just the way it worked out. Will Anderson had a great freshman year, but then he made a stratospheric leap uh, into the best player in college football. I thought pound for pound, even, uh, you know, regardless of position. Um, I know Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, was in New York for the Heisman Trophy, but I don't think he's nearly as good a football player as uh, Will Anderson, and that's no disrespect. I think Coach is a good player, but he may be the number one pick in the draft, but I think Will Anderson is a better football player. Uh, you know, he doesn't really have a weakness. He can play the run. He can rush the passer. Uh, he, uh, and, again, he's uh, someone that leads both by example and vocally. I think he's gotten more comfortable doing that. And then, you know, Bryce Young, uh, you know, just a great player. Uh, following in the footsteps of Mac Jones and Tua Tungavailoa uh, to be a first-round draft choice. Uh, he, it's so interesting. I don't know that it's ever been done, but they got a chance to have the first and second picks in the draft, which we've never really seen that done before. Uh, but, again, I do think that Will Anderson's the best player in college football, Bryce Young the best quarterback. And it's just a unique situation, but both guys had great years last year. You talked about a revenge tour. Alabama did come up short. Uh, they lost to the Georgia Bulldogs in the national championship game. Injuries had a ton to do with that. I mean, if you have a second-round pick, potentially like John Mechie in your lineup, and if you have uh, Jameson Williams for the whole national championship game, things are probably different. But that's football. Uh, that's how the, the, the cookie crumbled, so to speak. And now Alabama has to regroup and come back. And I think Nick Saban's been doing that uh, really, really well this spring. Uh, you mentioned Will Anderson there and just – how crazy his stats were and the fact that he wasn't in New York, I think was, was nuts. Uh, the fact that he had 34 and a half tackles for loss and the next closest guy uh, was Devin Lloyd, who's probably going to be a first round pick or uh, at the lowest and early second round pick out of Utah there had 22 tackles for a loss. So the next closest guy was 12 and a half uh, tackles for a loss behind him. And then if you want to look at the guy who probably is going to be the number one overall pick 16 and a half. So about half as many sacks or tackles for loss last year, for Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, do we as a nation appreciate how good Will Anderson is or is she just kind of Alabama fatigue where uh, every single year it seems like there's some dynamic defender coming out of Alabama, so eventually you just expect it? Well, I, I think there's a little bit of Alabama fatigue because when you look at the numbers, there's no reason that Will Anderson shouldn't have been in New York. Uh, he should have been voted a, you know, ahead of Aiden Hutchinson for the Heisman Trophy. He made more plays. I know – uh, you know, Michigan finally ended the 15-game streak by Ohio State. Aiden played really well in that game. But when you saw it, you saw him in the college football playoff and you saw Michigan, Georgia just kind of toyed with them. Uh, so it, it's a, in some ways it's still a regional award uh, because uh, I think a lot of people in the Midwest and uh, East Coast wanted to vote for Aiden Hutchinson and saw him. Uh, but, again, I, I think Will Anderson is a, a great player, uh, certainly, he finished, uh, you know, I, I want to say around fifth or sixth for the Heisman. Uh, should have finished higher than that. Should have been in New York, yes. But, again, he can atone for a lot of that, of those things this year if he stays healthy. 
Uh, and I'm going to be interested to see how he plays. And the thing is, uh, here's the scary part. I think Alabama defensively will be better. I know they don't have Fedarian Mathis, who had a hell of a year last year, and I think could be a second or third round pick uh, coming up on uh, you know in the NFL draft starting on April the 28th of this month. But I will say, I do think uh, that uh, we, when you talk, talk about a second year for Dallas Turner, who had eight and a half sacks and really didn't start until the midpoint of the regular season, he'll be a sophomore on the other side at Sam Linebacker uh, with, uh, paired with Will Anderson. And remember this name, Chris Braswell. He's somebody from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, Maryland, who's kind of been waiting his turn. He had five sacks uh, in the scrimmage this past week. Uh, and he's someone that they're going to try to get on the field, especially on third down with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. And, you know, and a young defensive lineman named Jamil Burroughs. Remember that name. Uh, he's going to try to fill some of the uh, void left by Fedarian Mathis' departure. And so I just think there's going to be a lot of talent around Will Anderson. Certainly he's going to draw attention. He'll draw two uh, defenders a lot of times, but it's going to free up other guys. And at times, uh, if those guys are making plays, they'll have to single block Will, and I still think he'll have uh, you know uh, have a chance to have a huge impact. But this Alabama defense, when you look at the Jordan battles returning, uh, and then you know, the, and then having to uh, the only other question really defensively is to fill the uh, shoes at corner of Josh Job uh, and Jalen Armour Davis, two future pros. But I think Kool Aid McKinstry, Kyrie Jackson, and then the LSU transfer Elijah Ricks are going to go a long way toward doing that. Now, Nick Saban back on the news, and I, I want to get into the spring game because I do think there's some interesting position battles to dive into. But Nick Saban back in the news uh, basically talking about the state of college football and how maybe needs to move to some more regulations with the NIL and with the transfer portal. And I find it fascinating just over his tenure in Tuscaloosa that a lot of people say he pushes back on things. And I, I, I think he's kind of trying to warn us more than anything or warn, warn the world of college football that, hey, if you do this, it's just going to help me. Because back like in 2012, he said, hey, do we really want a game where uh, we're spreading it out and running or running 80 to 100 plays a game when college football said yes? Alabama the past two years uh, has led the nation in total plays, won a national championship, went to another one, uh, right? And then when he talked about the transfer portal in NIL, he said it really is just going to help the top few teams. And when he gets pushed through, Alabama goes out and steals the top player from three different high-level programs, uh, and and uh, excuse me, Bryce Young is one of the first guys to have a second uh, seven-figure contract there. So it seems more so than Nick Saban pushing back. It's like he keeps saying, "If, if y'all do this, it's going to do nothing but help me." Yeah, I mean uh, that's kind of he, he's warning everybody because in the transfer portal, you just talked about it. I mean they had they got Jamison Williams last year. And he had a huge impact, became a Blitnikoff candidate uh, and a first-round draft choice, you know, for the University of Alabama. There's no doubt. Henry Toa had an all-SEC type year, had 107 tackles uh, to lead the University of Alabama defense. Now is returning uh, to, uh, to man that Mike linebacker spot for his senior season this coming fall. And now, you know, they've, you've seen what they've done so far. Uh, they've cherry-picked uh, Elijah Ricks, who I just mentioned from LSU. They've also... Uh, you know, uh, been able to get Jameer Gibbs, and he is going to have a huge impact as a runner and receiver from Georgia Tech. Uh, for uh, you know, the, he he had two thousand all-purpose yards on two bad Georgia Tech teams, and is now going to Alabama to be surrounded by more talent. Jermaine Burton had a huge scrimmage, had a ninety-eight-yard touchdown, had another twenty-yard, fifteen to twenty-yard TD in the red zone. 
Uh, then had seven catches or so in the scrimmage Saturday. He's going to be uh, a big time replacement for John, for John Mechie. He comes over from Georgia, and now they get Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt this week, who commits. And then I'm sure you saw the story: Tyler Harrell, the speed. Yeah, out of Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, he's he's in the portal, and I I think there's strong indication he can end up at Alabama because much like a year ago when they decided they needed an experienced speed receiver, when Jamison Williams went into the portal, I think Nick Saban has his eyes on Tyler Harrell, expect him to visit in the coming days, and if everything goes well, I think he could be you know the fifth member of that portal class. And, and then they may not be done because Jai Hall has moved on, did not take advantage of his opportunity for a year in Tuscaloosa. So Alabama could potentially add maybe another tight end or defensive lineman to the mix. So, he warned everybody that thought that a lot of Alabama starters might leave and go elsewhere. As he told people, you know, we're not going to lose our great players. But we Alabama has lost some guys that were, uh, you know, non-starters and in-depth uh, guys that have moved on, and they did lose a good player in Drew Sanders. But that was because basically Dallas Turner had taken his job. So uh, Alabama is going to really enhance themselves in the portal when Nick Saban adds guys he wants to. Uh, pick, pick guys that are immediate impact players and starters, and that's what he's going to keep doing. And then in NIL, unless it gets regulated, you know, Alabama's going to raise a lot of money. I know they, they, some say they've fallen behind a little bit because of what Texas A&M has done. That's probably true to an extent. But if there's one thing with Nick Saban, he quickly rectifies and pivots in situations. And Alabama will uh, lead the way in NIL as well because there's no better platform to play at in college football than Alabama who has been to every college football playoff but one, and as you know, has won six national championships, uh, you know, in, in 15 seasons under Nick Saban and could have won as many as uh, 10 or 11, which is just stunning. So there's no better platform for a player. They've got high tide traditions now that started uh, that's raising money for the program for NIL. They've already signed Will Reichert and Ty Simpson this week to that, and that's going to be evenly distributed amongst the players. So, Again, Alabama will lead the way in this, just like they've led the way in most uh, you know, issues in college football under Nick Saban. But what he's warning everyone about is this needs to be regulated. The NIL was not you know, started. The, the uh, rule was not put in place to pay guys before they ever played a down and to give them Hawaiian vacations and things of that nature. What NIL was created for was to allow guys to earn money for their name, image, and likeness once they arrived on college campuses and started to make plays. So, you know, the uh, the rule has kind of been taken advantage of by a couple of programs, and it's not, you know, what it was really designed for. But, again, as Nick Saban has said, if this is what you want, do it this way. But he's trying to – he's actually going to bat for the betterment of college football. And it's amazing how far we've come since uh, Kirby Smart's first year in Athens when those two were fighting over Maurice Smith. Now it's just – I'm going to go take whatever player I want to from your program, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, this spring game I think is interesting because it's going to be our first look at uh, what I think is the clear-cut best team in the country, but there are some really important positions uh, that we're going to have to see guys step up. We talked about the wide receivers a little bit, but it is a lot of talent moving on to the NFL, not just from this year, but really the past couple of years. Uh, When you think about all the wide receivers from Alabama that are going to be playing in the NFL next year, uh, just this year, what, top three pass catchers, John Mechie, Jamison Williams, and Slade Bolden, uh, all moving on to the next level. Obviously, Jermaine Burton's going to be there. Uh, Brooks, a big-time wide receiver as well. But who else should people be watching out for this year? 
Well, Ja'Cory will be back in the fall. He's got a lower leg injury, but I think he'll definitely be amongst your top four. Uh, if Tyler Harrell ultimately comes out of the portal and signs with Alabama, I from a little, I think he'll have a chance to be that speed guy. But a couple other guys to watch is the JoJo Earl, sophomore from Houston, Texas. He had a, you know, a, a didn't have a great scrimmage Saturday. Had a couple big drops that cost Alabama big plays, but he's transformed himself physically. I think he's going to be a really good player in time as a sophomore uh, for Alabama. Uh, you know, I would also uh, watch out, uh, you know, for uh, some of the freshmen, like uh, Aaron Anderson from Edna Carr High School in New Orleans. He's had, you know, a pretty good uh, first spring so far. Also, Kendrick Law from Shreveport. I think both of those young players are going to be good. And then they've got three freshmen that are going to be there in May. Isaiah Bond from Buford, Georgia, who's one of the best speed guys there is in, in high school football. Also, uh, Shaz Preston from Louisiana, more of a John Mechie possession type, tough guy who can run great routes and get open. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, the sleeper, Kobe Prentice, uh, somebody uh, who from Clear, Alabama, who basically earned his offer at Alabama's camp by running uh, four three-eighths consecutively and getting open and making plays in the camp. So there's going to be some more guys join that mix. I think Treshawn Holden, the returning leader as far as yardage goes, he's Bryce Young's roommate. He's somebody that will play and be a possession type. Uh, but I think really when you look at it, I think uh, Tyler Harrell will be added, in my opinion, to this mix. And if he is, he's going to bring that four-two-five type speed to blow the top off. And then I think, again, uh, by the middle of the season, maybe a guy like an Isaiah Bond gets comfortable or a Shaz Preston. But I think what Nick Saban was looking at is, okay, we've got five freshmen, but I don't know how big a role they're going to be ready to play right away. We need an experienced guy, and I think that's why they're probably going to go after Tyler Harrell, very strong indications that they are. But, again, they've still got the Ja'Cory Brooks, who really came on at the end of last year after the injury to uh, to John Mechie and also to uh, Jamison Williams. He stepped in. And, uh, and, and took advantage of some opportunities, especially when Jameson was ejected for targeting against Auburn. Uh, and then I, I do think that JoJo World has the ability. Now, he just has to be more consistent. You've got to take advantage of opportunities. And then even a guy like Christian Leary. There's a lot of names I'm going over, but Christian has a lot of speed. There's going to be a lot of competition in the fall. And so it, that's really going to be an, an ongoing battle to see which one of these receivers steps forward. But I think there's a lot of talent there. It's just got to hash out to see who's in the top five or six in the rotation because uh, there's only so many reps and catches available, even for a guy like Bryce that throws 40 times a game. I think it's a, a talented group, but I think it's one that's going to have to develop, and we won't see who all is going to be the true top four or five until everyone's on campus and the battles play themselves out uh, in the fall. Drew Diarman from 977 The Zone there in Huntsville joining us. Uh, finally here, I know if Bryce Young is the best quarterback in football, then protecting him has to be the number one priority for Alabama. Uh, you've been able to just look at left tackle and pencil that in uh, the last few years there with Evan Neal. He's off probably going to be the top, I would say, offensive player selective. And if you're reading the tea leaves from Twitter today, uh, he might be the number one overall pick uh, if Doug Peterson apparently has his way. But who steps up to replace his just – enormous shoes well I think Evan should be the first pick first of all I mean if you've got Trevor Lawrence and you're trying to uh, invest in him 
don't have an Andrew Luck type situation where you don't get an O line in front of him until you, he's so beat up that he retires early. Right. Uh, they've already got Cam Robinson, formerly of Alabama as well. To me, you have bookends with Evan Neal. You've already signed Brandon Sheriff. You've already upgraded your O line also in free agency, but you need two bookend tackles. Uh, you know, I know they have, uh, you know, Walter Little as well, but or Walker Little as well, but still, uh, I'm from Stanford. I'm not sure he's, you know, as, as good a player as Evan Neal, though. He could probably even be moved inside to guard. But if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars with Little and those guys aren't in Sheriff, I would fortify it with Evan Neal, no doubt about it. And I think when you look at Alabama's offensive line, they do have the talent inside. I think Seth McLaughlin and Darian Dalcourt will battle it out in the fall when Dalcourt's back. I still kind of give the edge to McLaughlin. He played really well at center last year from Buford, Georgia, uh, the last third of the season. And you've got Javian Cohen and, uh, and Emil Ekior back from injury. Javian's gone through this spring. That's your right and your left guard. They're experienced. But the key is going to be the tackle spots. Uh, and that's why Alabama had to go out and get Tyler Steen this week from Vanderbilt. He started 12 games on the left side uh, for the Commodores last year. He's very experienced, 30 starts on the right and left side within the SEC. And so I, I think he can uh, be out the left tackle that they need because I don't think Tommy Brockermeyer is ready yet. Probably needs another year to get healthy and be ready physically. Uh, and I think Amari Kite's a depth guy, but I don't think in, he's ready to start. And then Kendall Randolph's best position is his blocking tight end. He's not going to be as a, as a rider, a left tackle. So they needed Tyler Steen's experience. I think he's going to be a plug-and-play guy. And then J.C. Latham has made a lot of progress. He's a, a five-star from IMG Academy. He played right guard last year as a backup, but he's made a lot of physical strides. I think he's had a good spring at right tackle, and he's making uh, you know a, pl- a play to be that guy going into fall camp. If Alabama is satisfied with his progress, then I don't think they'll look in the portal for another tackle, and I think they are. I think they're pleased with where he is, and it's allowed them to move Damian George inside to compete at right guard with Ekiord his natural position. So I think Tyler Steen was a huge addition, and I think it's going to allow all the pieces to fall in place. But we just won't see them start getting that chemistry and that uh, and the reps they need together uh, to, uh, to, of course, uh, play with a little bit more cohesion until the fall because uh, of Darian Dalcourt being out for the spring and Emil Ekiord as well. But I do think the O-line will be improved if Tyler Steen is going is as good as people think, because I think J.C. Latham is going to be a, a younger, better player, more talented guy than Chris Owens was a year ago. Drew Diarman, 977 ESPN, The Zone in Huntsville, does an amazing job uh, covering college football. Drew, I appreciate the time, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Again, I really appreciate him hopping on to preview Alabama spring game coming up 3 o'clock on Saturday. We got more to come here on second down. We'll be back after this. Second down on ESPN radio is presented to you by the uniform source. Appreciate Drew DeArmond there uh, from 977 in Huntsville hopping on with us and just dropping some knowledge on us about Alabama. If you didn't know about the three deep for Alabama's offensive line, you 1000% do now, but I do think it's a great weekend of college football coming up again. A ton of spring games heading your way. We've got a big show coming up on three and out here in a little bit. We're going to catch up with Matt Lombardo. Uh, he actually broke down, or he was the one who broke the news, excuse me, on Twitter that uh, according to some NFL sources, it's a pretty well-known secret, quote-unquote, that uh, the 
stuck on Alabama, that the Jaguars are leaning offense with that number one overall pick, which would run counter to everything we have heard that Aiden Hutchinson uh, is the locked-in number one overall pick there for the Jaguars. But I agree with everything Drew said. If you make a $100 million investment, which is what Trevor Lawrence is, bare minimum $100 million investment could be upwards of 300 400 just when we talk about how much quarterbacks get paid now. You have to protect that investment. You have to buy some insurance, and I don't think there's any better insurance that you could get than Evan Neal. You lock him in at your left tackle, and he plays there for the next decade with Trevor Lawrence. So he'll break it down coming up next at 3 o'clock hour on 3 and Out. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us today. Talk to everyone tomorrow.